Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Today, I have with me Tom Dorney. Tom Dorney is another fellow veteran, and he's here. He's come to join us, and he wants to speak about his experiences and what he's into now. Uh, How's it going today, Tom? Fabulous. Thanks for asking. So if you can give us a little insight as to why did you join the military? Um, It was a combination of things, but I was working for the city in New York um, right out of high school and was laid off. And uh, in the meantime, I was, you know, applying for, you know, firefighter and cop and all that nice stuff that we all do. And uh, being out of work and laid off, I went into the Daily News and an incident ad, which I thought was for a cruise line, believe it or not. And a petty officer, Warburton, answered the phone. And two and a half weeks later, I was in the United States Navy going to boot camp in San Diego. So, so, you, so you thought it was a cruise line calling you? And ended up I being thought it was a cruise line, an ad for a cruise line, like see the world and all of that. But as as I got, you know, uh, realized real quick what was going on here and went down and spoke to him and all that, I said, well, you know, I, I was I was still a little young out of high school. I needed direction. Um, of course, serving, serving was foremost uh, in my mind as it came together. But um, yeah, it was a combination of a couple a couple of different things and being age 22, joining the military and then. You know, two and a half weeks later, you're in. Uh, it was kind of a mind shock, but, you know, I rolled with it. I rolled with it. Yeah, I can, de- I can definitely resonate with that one. I think for everybody joining, no matter what branch, I don't care what it is, you know, any of them, I just think that that initial shock of the hell did I get myself into? Exactly. Is- exactly. So uh, I'm, I'm from a large family. I'm one of eight kids. So the the discipline and all of that at boot camp uh, to me was a joke. Um, you know, I kind of made a face and my company commander taught, you know, caught me and I was like, he's like, you got a, You got an issue. I'm like, no, sir. I'm just, you know, uh, I told him like it is, but the, the mind, the mind messing and all that stuff like that. Um, it took me a, a week or two to get, get the idea of that, what was going on and why. So again, you know, you roll with it. Um, it was a great learning experience and, and it was a great, it was a great high at graduation. Oh shit. I passed this shit, you know? And, uh, I went in the Navy to be a radio man, but the, the, the Navy reneged on that contract, shall we say? And, you know, I had a choice to do a couple of different things. So, uh, my, I thought my destiny was to be a firefighter says, let me go and let me go in the Navy, give, you know, take what they give me and then cross rate. And that's exactly what I did. But um, I went to boot camp. I went to A school in Meridian, and then received orders to the U.S. USS Enterprise. So that 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 totally blew my mind. I was like, "Wow, you know, the ship's a legend." And uh, how however job I was going to have on it, 
I said, this is going to be exciting. And also being a Trekkie, you know, you hear all this shit. But I'm like, this is great. I, I'm a historian, um, a World War II military and all that stuff. So I was like, holy shit. So, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was a trip. It was a trip. I, I wish more kids that joined, no matter what age they joined, I really wish they, including myself, I wish I would taken the, hey, what can I get out of this more instead of just picking a job? I joined when I was 18. Picked, chose combat arms. I was a scout in the army. You know, it doesn't transfer real well to the outside. I mean, I could be a police officer, but I never really wanted to be one anyways. Um, I mean, I got to do what I wanted to in the military, but it's like on the outside, it's like it didn't translate very well and it wasn't didn't really open up any doors from inside to the outside. But I mean, you know, hey, you know, I was making that decision 21, 22, but that's a lot of what I do now is young men and women who serve is help them translate what they did into civilian talk and, and to help them uh, translate in a way, obviously, you might, you might think of what you did might not transfer over to civilian world, but the responsibility, the amount of money you're in charge of, the amount, you know, the people you're in charge of, um, if you get to that, if you weren't like 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 some of the people I served with that went back and forth in rank like six or seven times, uh, I don't know how they stayed in, but you know they made rank all the way up to like E six and like at one time was bounced back to E three, believe it or not. Whoa! I yeah, this is. I don't yeah. think that's possible in today's uh, military. At least I don't that think so. Now, don't but, but here's here's a guy. Here's a guy. I mean, you know. You know, throw it out there. Both of us like to drink, but Larry, Larry, Larry was serving, serving with his dad, who was in the Navy in Spain. That's why I say serving. He wasn't in the military yet, but he was in to Spain, and the actual Spanish government asked the United States Navy, "You got to transfer that bar guy out of here. His son is too much trouble. He got in that much trouble. You know, it's in the time within the '60s with drugs and all that stuff like that. And you know." All of us experimented, I think, at least at least for my age group. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know, I'll speak for myself on that. But um, yeah, that was a trip. That's who I hung out with. That's who I. That's who I worked half of my time on the Enterprise with at night. Uh, when we were when we were deployed and we were out, we were great. Not that we were four row sailors, but we had our shit together. But when we hit port, you know, game on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we were MIA in Australia for like a day and a half. And yeah, I, I had, I we were actually written up. Um, it was a storm and we had to be back by a certain time down to the, down to the pier and sign up. And we never did. And I had duty the next day. And that was part of my dream in the Navy uh, with the recruiter was I want to go to Australia. So I got to Australia, but I didn't have too much time. So I said, fuck it. Um, and my LPO saw me and he goes, don't you have duty today? I'm like, I'm going, I'm going. But I was like a half hour late to get back for duty. Mm. And that duty section wasn't too happy because I was the section leader. <laughs> yeah, I bet so, not. Yeah, he was not happy. So um, he couldn't leave until I got there. So I was like, wow. He wrote us up and he had the papers in the desk. And he basically said to two of you, we have four ports to go home we did an eight and a half month deployment but we have four more port ports 
both of you are going to serve duty in every port. You're not allowed off the ship. Or we send the papers up to legal and you go to captain's mass. Choice is yours. Yeah, I bet you chose, I'm hoping yeah, you chose he chose to do the duty. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he, basically what it boiled down to, you two are going to be my bitches all the way back to San Francisco, which, which was crazy for me because my daughter was born in May and I was getting back in August and yeah, it wouldn't go over too well telling the wife with the new baby that I can't get off the ship after no. being away for that long. So uh, that was a no-brainer. <laughs> that yeah, was that, a no-brainer. Yeah, you don't want to piss the wife off, especially with a newborn. So I and know how... Brand new wife. Brand new wife. I got married a month before we deployed. Mm. She's, she, can you spell allotment? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I got a story to tell you. I got one. Okay, so you've met dumb seamen, privates, whatever. You've met a few, I'm sure, in your time. Have you ever, ever had a private give his entire, his access to his bank account, his, give full power of attorney to a stripper? Uh, That's a new one. Yeah, and guess what? When we got back from our first deployment, 2003, four, guess what? Wiped out, car gone, everything gone. Yep. So, yep. 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 I, I, I deal with that. You know, I answer the phone and I deal with veterans in crisis all over the country. And that's one of the top, that's one of the top three of a uh, guy was disabled. He went to the New York Marathon, got back to Wyoming and totally wiped out. Kids gone, everything gone. Ooh. Disabled. And all that, wow. and, see, and she put, worse. and to top it all off, she put a lien on the house. He got built for him as a disabled veteran. How that mm. happened, I don't know. It, he couldn't go there, in his own house. Is there anything you can even do at that point, or is that a lost cause? Um. Well, he did the right thing, and he got two channels that he called us. <laughs> and and you know, I throwing legal into there and lawyers and all that other stuff. But the neighbor helped them out. But yeah, it's like I don't under. It depends on your contract that you that you sign with the people who build it for you. But some states, it's it's yeah. The wife is like, you know, you're away. Like you said, you you sign these papers, but you're not at, you're not at home. And she goes and makes a move like that. You have really no recourse. Mm. Yeah, no, I've heard of some weird stuff before, and. Yeah, they need a little bit better protection for the veterans on certain aspects of that thing. I, I get it. You know, you, you think you're in love. You think you, you know, she's going to be there forever. But I've seen time and time again with veterans, especially while I was deployed, because I deployed four times to Iraq, to Afghanistan. And I even went to South Korea, too, just for fun. And, um, oh, that was fun, too. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> I've been there, man. on Korea, yeah. And uh, it's just story after story of, you know, veterans and getting, you know, service members at the time, getting screwed out of cars, money, homes, girlfriends got other, our wife's got other guys living in the house. And it's like, what is going on here? Yeah, I had a story, a Marine that served on my ship. Poor guy. He was the only one that didn't know other than everybody in his command, everything he served with, with, with us on the Enterprise, with Marine Detachment. Everybody hung out with wives, girlfriends, and everybody knew this woman was cheating on him but him. Everybody knew. And I'm like, imagine that? And then and 
You just, it, I mean, embarrassed as shit. I, I would be, but have you ever heard of the Philippines? Going oh, yeah. to the Philippines, uh, the one thing you got to know when when you were serving, I, Philippines supposedly made what open back up. But you tell all the young guys when I, we went out is, you go out in the Philippines, never sign anything, because hmm. if you sign that, you just signed your life away. You just sign that woman. It has legal right on you. And what they do is they blackmail you. I'm going to spell it like it is. They blackmail you for two to $3,000 to your command. How? I mean, well, it, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a foreign country. They do what the hell they want. Right. Well, that's true. The U S law and, and the, you know, the United States Navy's been there since world war two. And they're mm -hmm. like, well, the guy just signed papers that he's willing to, uh, you know, legal rights to different things and plans on marrying this woman and all that other stuff. And, and you're like, huh? You know, it's one of those scam things. And I said, don't sign a freaking thing. Sad, sad I'm sure there's probably several that did. It, knowing oh. just even back then, today, and even when I started, well, it wasn't too long ago. I, I, I know I have a few privates that would have signed paperwork. Yep. Yep. Or, or, the, or the buddy system. You know, there's places in the world, especially when I was serving, like we sat off the South Korea during during the Olympics and the enterprise would have been a nice big target. But you, you go to different parts of the world with the buddy system, it's damn serious because this guy went out, uh, you know, the Jordash and all the money and all that stuff and wound up back at the gate. Basically, all he had was the skivvy. They took everything, everything. And the Philippines are dangerous. They'll kill you for the value of $30. They'll kill you. Oh, yeah, no. I understand. I, I met quite a bit of South Korea. Quite a bit of Filipinos up there, and yeah, I, I've I had a few married juicy girls, a few soldiers that married juicy girls. Um, one even moved to the Philippines uh, right after he got out. It's like, what are you doing? But, <laughs> well, you get over there, you're 18, you're away from home. You think you drink, you're in the mountains in the barrio, drinking the thing called Mojo that actually had morphine in it. And you're sitting up there, and you're playing a game. You're playing a game of smiles. You know what smiles is? Uh, uh I, I never heard of it. Yeah, you well, use maybe. your imagination, but there are girls under the table. Mm -hmm. Got it. And the first one, first one, the smile has to buy the round of mojo. So, without getting too graphic on that, we all understand yeah. what happened. It's <laughs> called, called, yeah. Philippines is you. You could be do anything in the Philippines as an American. Um, you could you could. Buy what was it? Buy a six pack of San Miguel, a block of ice, hotel room, and the bar girl for probably equivalent. I don't know about today, but back then, equivalent to $25-30. Jesus. And the ice was more expensive than the beer. Because mm -hmm. of ice oh. the, with the issue there. Uh yeah. Mm -hmm. So get a guy 18 years old. Yep. No, I, I understand completely. I mean, we've all been 18. I just, I, I would hope that in a foreign country, you'd have a little bit more of a brain, but I guess we don't always get the best and the brightest all the time. Well, you know what a young military guy and especially the reputation of the sailors, you know, thinking with when, when they're out and add a little bit of alcohol to it. Yo, um, yeah. Things was things were serious though. When I, when I, I paid attention because I was at the end of the cold war. So we, you're in different parts of Europe and all around, and, and, and we wore our uniform, and they saw what rate you were. 
your job. And if they saw those nice little lightning bolts and different things, and you were radio men and all these guys that had clearance and operations, you had Russian girls all over you. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm serious. We're talking back in the time in the cold war. We, we, you had to really watch what you were doing and uh, it got, it got pretty crazy. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> so it, it sounds like you actually had a pretty good time in the military for the most part. Oh, I, I loved it until until it caught up with me with with um you know being around age 25, 26, all the responsibility. I had, my second deployment was another world cruise. Um, I had a very eventful four years aboard that ship. We were in war zones three times before the wars actually happened. You know, Iraq. Uh, not Iraq. Um, Iran, we took out half of Iran's Navy in 88. We bombed Libya, Benghazi, and Tripoli, all that stuff for Gaddafi. Um, we sat over, off the line of death and the med and all that stuff and came back, you know, really pumped. And, you know, why I served and look what we did and on top of the world. And, you know, we're not to say that we're war heroes, but, you know, we, 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 we did our duty. We did a great mm -hmm. job. And I got back in August. By October, I was separated. Just like, did you know you were getting out or just? Well, no, I mean, separated in the relationship with, with the woman that I married. Oh, uh, okay. Doing the right thing with this child. Um, you know, there's always there's always two sides to a story. I'm not going to get into her side of it. There's a lot of it I can't still talk about. Cause my daughter's about 34 years old and she doesn't know the truth. But um, I, yeah, I had I had a serious drinking issue. I, I I've been invited to career alcohol counseling a couple of times, uh, and shall we say, with the end of my career in the Navy, um, doing some stupid shit um, for alcohol and and having a really good career, and basically the Navy telling you, yeah, we're not inviting you back to reenlist. Ooh. make a Just long like story short. Yeah, like you, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a time where, where um, that that uh, things were a lot more difficult as far as recruitment and getting people and things of that nature. But uh, yeah, we really don't, we really don't need you. Um, are you going to reenlist? And I'm like, well, I lost, I lost what I know. My wife and daughter, who's still what five, six months old, um, didn't know what to do, and basically. You know, was totally lost. So I said, I'll go back to New York. No, I'm not going to reenlist. Um, why would I do that? I, well, you know, a lot, a lot of service people did stay in the service. You know, whatever, whatever reasons. You know, I, I don't know anything else, or I don't know how to adapt to the civilian world. But I was in such a state in a very quick time um, at the end of my enlistment that. I uh, put it mildly, I really didn't know or really care. I, so, I was in bad. I, I was in bad shape. So, how long? How much of a notice did you get that you were even getting, basically pushed out? Well, it was it was pretty much right. I, I you know I I had my I had my incident in Australia. And then when we got back to port, it was basically two more two more instances of of shall we getting in trouble so it was a matter of four or five months before the before my enlistment ended okay so four to five months did so did, were you able to make a plan of any kind so uh what years did you serve i served from 85 into 89 
Okay, did they even have like anything set up then, or was it just say hey, you're gone? You're gone. Wow, it's as transition is concerned. How 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 you would think about it now in the service and everything out back there in '89. I mean, there were there were maybe workshops and different things with the chaplain, and you know, if you had a family and that quick two and a half hour course of transition. Like I didn't even really hear the word transition to you years later, to be oh. completely honest with you. I don't need I mean now 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 I consider myself pretty much an expert in it and helping with it. Didn't even know what transition what 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 does that mean? Mm. Back then. Nah. Didn't really know. So yeah. I went back so I went back to New York. Um and basically existed. And I wound up living in a beautiful area of New York, Pennsylvania area on the Delaware River. And it took me three years to crash and burn. Literally. I was going to walk in front of a train and end it. Whoa. So how, how, did you, how did you pull yourself out of it? I mean, it's not like you just flip a switch overnight. No, no. Well, um, it, it's it's kind of a kind of a kind of a neat story, but it, it's really 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 not how it ended because uh, I was basically a shell and I had no soul. But um, I was about twenty. I'm in my late twenties on the Delaware River, which is beautiful, and I wound up living above a bar, a hotel. It's a hotel bar in a small little town in the Delaware River. Uh, not a care in the world, but if you look at it realistically, Tom, you're almost borderline homeless. Right? I was I was working two part-time jobs, and I met this Navy three-tour Vietnam veteran, badass, riverboat mm -hmm. captain, who 25 to 30% of his, his, his jacket, or shall we call file, is the commander-in-chief's eyes only. Badass, mm -hmm. badass. And he wound up being a federal agent with the DEA when he got out of the Navy in L.A. Harbor. And let's just say he did his job so well, the cartels had a hit on him. Whoa. He went into hiding for six to seven years. And I met him when he was coming back out of hiding. You know, beard, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He's born and raised in City Island. He went in the Navy enlisted. He served on the forest during that, that big fire they had. And and shall we say he was noticed? And Admiral Zuwaltz himself, who created the Brownwater Navy, um, recruited him. And yeah, he he's been through some shit. So you know he's got two or three through, through and throughs and all this other stuff. And uh, we work six days a week, twelve hours a day, and like to drink. Mm. That was my life. Until the time I was sitting in a pre-Civil War bar on the Pennsylvania side, because we were kicked off out of the bars on the New York side. And um, I was sitting there. He was getting ready, I think, the family to leave to go to California because the guy can work in any shipyard in the United States and do any job. He bought, he, he built Navy weapon systems and everything. The guy's just one of those guys, really. And he's the son of an IRA lieutenant. So being Irish, he served on the carrier, me and him hit it off immediately so uh again i like to drink um so so um yeah i was sitting alone one night in the bar pre-civil war bar and 20 feet outside the door was the eerie train line the tracks 
And I was actually on the move and moving to go walk in front of them. So I, is it an intervention? Is it something divine? Um, basically, I kind of snapped out of it there for a second and envisioned be, being a very selfish act. Um, I wasn't raised that way. And of course, at that moment in time, as we do and on the battlefield and everything else, I, I thought of mommy. I thought, what, what would that do to my mother to find out that, you know, I was straight all over the Erie train line and parts of my body were down at the, the lumber yard down at the end of the track there. And I decided to call her. Save my life. She gave me birth. And she saved my life because she's she's a she's a tough cookie and talk about being a badass. I had issues and I've been around alcoholism since I was 11, 12 years old. And my mother's heard the story before and she, you know, didn't appreciate the fact that I called her and told her I was just about to end my life. Do and she hung up the phone on me. So that's what I did. I went to a 300-year-old church on the river up there and went to my first AA meeting. That's good. Congratulations. Thank you. Haven't looked back. It's been approximately 31 and a half years. And to what I'm doing today, I mean, getting re, uh, reinventing myself twice, as they call it. You know, I've, I've been in IT support for 18 to 20 years. I've been, uh, I'm a certified energy auditor. I've done everything but fly a plane and jump out of one. But, uh, so far, but, uh, but, but, but so far, but my true passion for the past six to seven years, since I met a Delta Force operator that was blown up and made a comp, he made a pact with God, Delta Force operator, squad, mm -hmm. and God blew him up, took his legs instantly, flatlined him six times. 120 operations, and the kid is a picture in People magazine with Prince Harry for the Invictus Games, but Harry was visiting Tim. His name is Timothy Payne, chosenleadership.com. Look it up. Um, he's the reason why I do what I do today, because that man is blessed. Um, it's a miracle he's alive. He's the foremost wounded warrior athlete in the world. Um, Invictus and, uh, you know, what are they, the Warrior Games? Mm -hmm. um, I met him here in Connecticut. And I was volunteering in a, in a veterans lounge in the community college when I was reinventing myself. And the staff of the college were stupid enough to invite me to their staff veterans meeting and realized how much they didn't really know what they were doing. Mm. And the veterans were basically being used in this community college, make a long story short. And it pissed me off. What were they and, doing? And, uh, they were just disrespecting them, doing things mm. on behalf of like a veteran program with teachers and staff to try and educate the student body on veterans and didn't ask your veterans for any input. Mm. Isn't that they're totally disrespecting? And they hung the sign for this program outside the door 
And I was in visiting the school one day. This is after I got out of the school. And I went up to the president of the Veterans Lounge and the Veterans uh, Group. And I said, did you see this sign out here? He goes, what are you talking about? So he's looking at it. He starts critiquing it like graphics and stuff. I said, no, read what it says. Did, this, did anyone come to you on this? No. I'm like, you're shitting. No one came here and asked you what you felt about it. Do you have any ideas about it or anything? No. I walked right up to the dean's office again because they know me. And they invited me. I said, what are you people doing? The guidance counselors had no clue what they were doing. And, and I was just raised that way that, you know, um, if some something pisses you off or you're crying and moaning over something, change it. Yep. Do something about it. So the last six years, um, I've been on a mission, and uh, one of our logos for Vet Unite is an outline of a soldier with not on my watch. So they're like, "Why do you do what you do?" And I'm like, "Well, where I come from." And when I serve, not to say anything negative about anybody else or any other um, people who served, but where I come from, um, that's what brothers and sisters do. We're supposed mm -hmm. to watch out for one another. But there's there's people who take it to a no, whole, whole other level, and I'm one of them, because uh, I lived it. So we're out to eradicate veteran homelessness and suicide. I'm Mike Damon and I, who's my partner at Fet Unite, and the other organizations I belong to, um, regroups out there in New Brunfeld, Texas, uh, which is by Austin and um, San Antonio. Yeah. You know, you yeah. probably heard of um, New Brunfeld with the music hall out there and George Strait and all that nice stuff. But um, that's why I do what I do. It, it, it's it's not on my watch. I, 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 it's got to end. And we have to be very real about it, very frank about the discussion of suicide and mental health in this, in this day and age um, as a society. Yeah, de uh, yeah definitely. Um, I mean, personally, I still think the military is broken. With that kind of aspect, I went to inpatient treatment down here in Texas when I was out of Fort Polk, Louisiana for 47 days. I completely had a breakdown and it was fine. You're there, you're in a sheltered area, no outside stressors, but then you got to go home at some point. And Fort Polk was not prepared for that at all. It was, I mean, not, I guess, probably the bottom of the barrel when it came to mental health issues and take care of soldiers that had that issue because they had nothing after that inpatient treatment. So it's like, I went, I got great stuff from it, but you, know, you start adding those stresses back in life. I went back to drinking, you know, I stopped working out about a year later and I just, well, plus I got medically retired too. So that another stressor on top of everything. So it was, that was a pretty rough time, but I mean, I'd never, I guess a lot of it is just having a support network around you, like family, my wife, having a purpose of, you know, and that's what a lot of veterans don't have. I have a brother-in-law yep. that did, did die. Yeah. Um, yep. Me and him served 2003, four together. Uh, we were roommates out of Fort Riley together. And here two years ago now, he finally went, um, he drank himself to death. Um, I was there. I was, I was on my way. 
So, you know, we, we created the workbook. You know, Mike Mike Damon did a lot of the writing of it through experience. But Vet Unite is all basically about mentorship and peer-to-peer. Because it's okay. the only thing that's going to work. Yes. Is each other. Well, how how do they get a like? How do they get a, a, in contact with you, or who who do they actually talk to when they get a hold of somebody out there? Is it well, you or? well, vetunite.org is the website. Um, Tom Dorney on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Mike Damon, M I K E D A M O N. I'll send you links afterwards. His nickname is the Godfather. Uh, that's what he, they called him when he served because he was both Marines and Reserve. And like mm-hmm. me, we were one of those older guys than the general pack we served with. You know, they started calling me grandpa the last year of serving the board. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm 26, 27 years old. And I'm like, yeah, but then they're 18 and 19 years old, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, they call him the godfather. He's, he's a character. I mean, I met, I met him in northeastern Connecticut. After after I started a meeting called Meeting of the Minds, um, I'm a big collaborator. And for six years, I, I've I've grown to be nationally connected. Mm-hmm. So we have when we have collaboration meetings and all this stuff like that, uh, it's only serious people to the table. And Mike Damon's one of them, obviously my partner. But I met him up in a park. We were having an event, motorcycle run, and here's this guy get off. He gets off this tan and black Harley with his Marine cap on and a kilt. And I'm like, I got to meet this guy. So yeah, we got to, yeah, yeah. We, we went, we got to talking, uh, you know, both of us talk a lot, but, um, we're implementers, we're doers, but, uh, I'm, we're storytellers. I mean, I'm Irish, I'm a storyteller, but I tell stories. Uh, about nonprofits, and I'm the one that goes in and talks to governors and the Commissioner of Veterans Affairs and business owners and all that stuff on these programs and why they support us. And that's how do you do that? I'd say I, the organizations I belong with and what we're dealing with, I just tell the story. I just tell them what we do. The rest of it speaks for itself. Okay. And you know I mean? the- the vetunite.org, what all does that entail? Like, what, what else does, you know, what, um, what do forgive us on the for web, forgive us, forgive us on the website because, um, it's, it's under construction and the one that's up there now is kind of thrown together. But on the website is, 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 is Mike's workbook. Um, it's a transition workbook. This man documented everything he went through from the time he got out, going to the VA benefits. And in the beginning of uh, next month, we're building an app. We basically are building a gamified app. At its core, the app is, is yeah, it, it, this is going to be fun. You're going to see this. But this app is going to allow any veteran to, you know, we're going to map out certain questions in certain areas like good VSOs and people do. Like I, I facilitated interviews at the VA with my partner. We walk, hand walk a veteran into a VA and six weeks later, he'd have his benefits. Wow. So, so yeah, we know what we're doing. So sounds like so, it. So we have the app that's going to answer these questions. Yes. No, you know, like, you know, basics service, where'd you serve, blah, blah, blah. but it's going to, it's going to point you where you need to go and spit out 
the path that you need to take, uh, obviously along with guidance and mentorship is what we do, but it's going to spit out all those answers and give you the direction on what you need to do. Uh, we're not a handout. We're a hand up. Mm -hmm. um, like everything else, uh, everybody says the same thing. I'm not going to hold your hand. It's going to be something you're, go you're going to want and work for. But uh, we, we know what to do, where to go. And if I can't find the resource, we have a reputation. I'll find it. So, yeah, I, they're like, you, you know everybody. I'm like, I don't know everybody, but I, need, I know who I need to know. You know what I mean? Exactly. If I can't find, because there's a lot of, lot of veterans that go through the typical channels and the frustrations and the VFW and this and this and that. And they're they're sitting they're sitting in Wyoming and, and Massachusetts up here. I've got I've got I've got major VSLs in Massachusetts calling me because they don't know what to do with the guy. And Mike, they said they go, he's this, he's that, he's that. He ran into that perfect storm like the wife taking all the money, all this other stuff. I said, okay, you talk to them, you do an intake. Where are you from? Basically, where are you coming from? What's your issue now? What's in your way? What's your stumbling block? What's, what's, is, is it a marriage? Is it a legal issue? Um, drug issue? You know, addiction issue? Whatever the case may be, okay, then where do you wish to go? What are you, what you, you going to do with yourself? And get them there. Provide the resources to them. And a lot of the times, those transition ranches, like the one we're building and uh, regroup is building in, in Texas, where a lot of them that are out there, uh, regroups an 18 month program. Some of the some of the programs are a year. I got a guy. I got a guy who's the friend, best friend of a veteran that committed suicide. He's rehabilitating veterans with a pack of wolves. In the Canadian Rockies, building tiny homes. And really? he's in four states, and he's only been in existence like three years. Really? He rescues them. And when he builds the tiny home, he builds the bunk. Believe it or not, underneath the bunk is where the wolf stays. Wow. That's, I never heard they of that. They have pens and everything. I'm not done. When the, pen, the pens are done and all that. But this kid... It's so smart. I mean, he's a solar engineer that the ranch is self-sustaining. But this kid's so smart. Every animal on these properties are certified. Oh, that sounds nice. I like that. I've never heard. So you can like be in the middle before. of ranches and everybody else, and he'll save these wolves or rescue these wolves with a municipality, or if they're in a jam, he'll charge the municipality six thousand dollars to go rescue it. He'll take four thousand, build a tiny home, and use the other two for administrative costs. Yeah, and mm -hmm. and he's got them certified, and they partner with the veterans, and the rest is history. He's got a following on TikTok, unbelievable. He's got Milwaukee Tools as a partner, and he doesn't go after grants or or after other nonprofits to collaborate. Everyone goes to him. Nice. Yeah, so two, that, that would be a strong one to have right there. Yeah, yeah. I met this. I met this kid when that when this particular. He's on four properties now, but uh, and the fifth is being built in Colorado to have the houses 
And where he's at now is going to be like corporate. But he offered me the COO position of this organization two years ago. Man. Timing and everything and personal oh. thing, you know. Uh, yes, I am married. <laughs> uh, yeah, We're going to the Colorado Rockies and no, that wouldn't have gone over well. But we're working on it. <laughs> well, well, it's definitely nice to talk to you, Tom. That was you got some really good stories. I'm definitely gonna talk to you some more. Um, but I don't want to take too much of your time too. It sounds like you're busy quite a bit because you seem like you got a lot of stuff to help veterans with, and yeah, we all do we really have appreciate a, we have this. A, yeah, we have a military community on convening communities with this hat. Yep. And I also I also facilitate a nonprofit community. Uh nonprofits are free. Um, so it's what I got into to help nonprofits out to succeed, to help our vets. Now I help them all. Uh, it's a brand new community on a platform uh, ran, founded and ran by veterans. So uh, I'll send you some links. And anyone that yes, wants please. to be, you know, be an entrepreneur, run their own business, uh, collaborate and do other things with other, other like-minded people, uh, certainly look us up. I'll send you all the information you can post. And uh, yeah, it's a blast. It's a blast. Yeah, please I, do. So we can post all that together with it on all the uh, platforms that it'll go out on. So, but well, that wraps up another episode of the Swan Dingo Files with Tom Dorney. If you have a kilt on, he might actually come talk to you. So I'll be in a kilt <laughs> later today. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking and keep Swandingoing.